Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Wednesday, the 15th of November with me, Bernadette Anderco. We have a busy show today covering as ever the latest in markets news, but we're also joined by two of our research experts to delve into the bond and equity markets a little more deeply, taking a look at the risk of a bond market rating downgrade in the US and also a closer look at one of our preferred equity sectors. But before we begin, I'd like to draw your attention to the latest Beyond Markets podcast published this morning on what to make of the Q3 earnings season, in which our head of equity research, Philip Leonhardt, discussed how the results season has gone so far with me, and he highlights the overachieving and underachieving sectors. You can catch that on whichever platform you choose to listen to your podcasts. And if you prefer to listen in German, then Philip speaks to my colleague Martina Kaut on the Markt Analysen und Gespräche channel. So that aside, let's crack on with the highlights of the latest markets action with John T. Warris. Good morning, John T. Good morning, Bernadette. So, John T., yesterday was uh, CPI day. Uh, we saw US inflation year on year for October come in slightly behind expectations. What can you tell us? Yes, that's right, Bernadette. So inflation in the US in October fell to 3.2% year on year, only marginally behind the estimates of 3.3%. And core US inflation, which excludes the more volatile food and energy prices, rose by 0.2% month on month, also slightly behind expectations of uh, 0.3%. And what was the market reaction to this uh, cooler than expected inflation data? Well, suffice it to say that markets really responded very positively. US equity futures immediately jumped on the news and global equities followed suit and rallied as the data reinforced expectations that the US Federal Reserve has reached the end of its rate hiking campaign. And what about uh, fixed income markets? Well, we saw some rather wild moves on bond markets after the CPI print, with US Treasury yields plunging. The yield on the two-year note fell by a massive 16 basis points to 4.86, while the yield on the 10-year note fell 19 bips to 4.45 shortly after the data was announced. Treasury yields are now a couple of basis points lower still when I last checked. Um, elsewhere in markets, the US dollar also weakened on the news by the most in a year, with Euro USD trading just shy of 109. Oil saw a short-lived rally only to stabilize as the market began to interpret the supply and demand outlooks, while an industry report indicated an expansion in US stockpiles. Uh, West Texas intermediate steadied around $78 a barrel, while global benchmark rent was above the $82 mark. Okay, so uh, let's look at this in context then. This uh, 4% year-on-year rise in core prices in the US is the smallest since September 2021. But inflation in the US is still too high, isn't it? Of course, uh, 4% is still quite far from the Fed's official target of 2% inflation. But what it does show is that the economy is moving in the right direction. The move in rates is being taken by the market as a sign that the tightening cycle is effectively over, with the probability of a Fed rate hike at the December meeting yesterday having effectively fallen to zero. Markets are now already pricing in around 92 basis points of rate cuts by December 2024. Okay, so uh, turning to Europe, we also saw Q3 employment data and GDP numbers out of the Eurozone yesterday, which showed a small drop in GDP meaning that growth has been hovering around zero with seemingly little there to fuel a meaningful recovery. What can you tell us there? Yes, that's right. Data yesterday showed that Eurozone gross domestic product shrank by 0.1% in Q3 from the previous quarter, pointing to a shallow recession, if indeed a weak fourth quarter follows, as early indicators are suggesting. The slight slump in growth is down to strong headwinds from high inflation and record high interest rates, as well as the slowly tightening fiscal policy. 
Employment, however, was up by 0.3% in the euro area. So that's slightly more encouraging for European economies. All right, uh, let's move over to Asia now then. It seems like things are looking up for China, aren't they? They are, Bernadette. China's economic activity rebounded as industrial output grew at a faster pace and retail sales growth outstripped expectations. This is certainly an encouraging sign for an economy still showing particular weakness in the face of a raft of support measures being extended by China's central government. And elsewhere, as widely anticipated, the People's Bank of China has pumped fresh cash into its banking system, but kept the interest rate unchanged when rolling over maturing medium-term policy loans. The central bank said that the loan operation would keep sufficient liquidity in the banking system to counteract any short-term factors, such as tax payments and government bond issuance. And how are the markets in Asia faring today then on the news? Well, Asian markets are all trading in the green in today's session with Hong Kong's Hang Seng up 3.3% and the Kospi and the Nikkei well up over 2%, while mainland Chinese indices were up around half percent when I checked a moment ago. And is there any other news to report this morning, John T? Yes, the US House of Representatives approved a bill yesterday that would avert a government shutdown. Now, this sends the measure next to the Senate, where it is expected to pass. And once it's approved by the Senate, the bill will go to President Joe Biden, who has indicated that he is ready and willing to sign it. And of course, without a funding bill in place that has been passed by both chambers and signed by the president, the US government would be forced to shut down at midnight this Friday. And we've also just seen UK inflation data year on year for October out with consumer prices having risen slightly less than expected at 4.6% year on year down from 6.7% year-on-year for September. So this is certainly positive news for the UK economy. Some good news at last. (laughs) Okay, and lastly, what can investors expect for the day ahead, Jonty? Well, UK energy provider SSE, Infineon Technologies and Siemens Energy are among companies expected to release earnings today. Expected data include US retail sales and inflation data out of France and Italy. And a quick look at the futures board shows US stock market set for a pretty strong open in the green later today. And that's it from me. Thank you so much for bringing us all the latest markets news today, Jonty. Thank you, Bernadette. So now it's time to take a look at those uh, US bond markets with uh, Irini Tsekeradu from Fixed Income Research. Good morning, Irini. Good morning, Bernadette. So um, as Jonty said, the House of Representatives passed this budget bill. Now it moves to the Senate. That's going to be good news, right? Yes, exactly. The U.S. had no formal budget for the fiscal year that began 1st of October, but only provisional resolution expiring this Friday. And now the House of Representatives held the vote yesterday. 217 votes were required for uh, the bill to pass. And now we had strong bipartisan support. So in favor were 336 representatives. 209 of those were Democrats and 127 on the Republican side. So now the bill moves to the Senate. We have indications that the bill will be passed as soon as possible and the shutdown of the non-essential businesses will be averted in time for Thanksgiving and the holiday season. Okay, furthermore, Moody's, the rating agency last week, lowered its credit rating outlook to negative for the US. What's your take there? Moody's lowered only the rating outlook to negative, but confirmed the AAA rating, which is quite remarkable for us, given the rapidly deteriorating fiscal metrics of the US government. But since the regulators put all sovereign bonds rated AAA until AA- into the same bucket, a downgrade would not have changed a lot for the banks, which are holding a lot of treasury debt. So all in all, we know that the US public sector finances are in bad shape, 
but it will not have meaning, meaningful consequences for banks holding treasuries for the time being. Okay, so you say it's got little consequences for the banks holding treasury debt, but what about private investors? Modi says that the risk of a shutdown is the main reason behind the downgrade of the rating outlook. But even if we had a shutdown, none of them has derailed the US economy or undermined the ability of corporate borrowers to service their debt. Now the shutdown has been averted. However, the huge budget deficit hasn't been addressed. So the debt sustainability topic for the US is not off the table yet. In case there was a chronic budget impasse weighing on demand for treasuries, we would expect good corporate issuers to outperform government bonds. Thus, we maintain our call for credit quality with medium to longer duration. Super. Thank you very much for the update, Irene. Thank you, Bernadette. Now, I promised you a dive into both bond and equity markets at the start of the show. So I'm delighted to be joined by our head of equity strategy, Mathieu Rachete, who's here to give us an update on one of our preferred sectors, healthcare. Good morning, Mathieu. Good morning, Bernadette. 2023 has turned out to be a difficult year for defensive sectors, and uh, I guess healthcare is no exception. So why is that, Mathieu? Yes, you're right. You know, if you think about 2023 on a high macro level, so far we had the combination of stronger than expected economic activity, particularly in the US, alongside also the sharp increase in long-term bond yields. And both of those factors have really contributed to the underperformance of defensive sectors, such as utilities, consumer stables, but also healthcare. Okay, but the healthcare sector consists of a variety of companies. So are there any notable differences in performance within these that you think is worth highlighting? Yes, indeed. So within healthcare, there are some differences. Um, if you take the large cap biopharma companies, they have been the best performers so far year to date, supported by the emergence of the obesity drug class, which led to outsized gains in some of part, uh, in some particular names there. Um, if you look at biotech stocks, um, on the other hand here, they suffered the most as they really continue to feel the heat of high rates, um, which dried up funding um, for those names. Um, and then we have the performance of the other two subsectors, um, medtech and also managed cares, which was more um, or less in line with the overall healthcare sector. So yes, there are some differences um, within the healthcare sector here. So then what's the outlook for the healthcare sector? So with the latest underperformance, um, valuations have also pulled back, especially in relative terms. And if you think about it, you know, historically, the healthcare sector traded at a 10% premium to the broad market um, based on a 12.4p on average, which makes sense, you know, given the defensiveness of the sector, given the more stable earnings and margin outlook. Um, but currently, the sector is only trading at a 4% premium to the overall market. And this, despite the good growth perspective, the sector continues to offer. So I think um, it's a good time now to increase um, the exposure to the um, healthcare stocks. Okay, so that being the case, then what are your preferences? So we continue to prefer large cap biopharma companies, um, in particular those with exposure to the obesity drug class. Um, but there are also other opportunities there. You know, the biggest concern remains the potential pipeline hole um, within the next year for many of the big names. But if you look, you know, at the big names, at the big players, they're all flush of cash to actually make acquisitions um, to fill this gap. In addition to that, we also have the um, US elections, which are coming up next year. That's always a big topic for the um, far pharma sector. But if you think about it, most of the negative news that could happen have already happened, right? So we had already a lot of bad news coming out for the uh, pharma sector. So 
This time around, we think um, US presidential elections should be less of a concern as little to no change is expected that would really affect um, the sector going forward. Apart from um, large cap biopharma companies, we also like managed care companies, which would benefit from stable or even lower yields, while also offering further vertical integration potential and also benefits from tight cost controls. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, we will still be very cautious here on the biotech uh, subsector because the headwinds will probably remain. Um, but you know, having said that, biotech only makes up 7% of the overall healthcare sector, so it's just really a minor part. And also we have recently seen a pickup in healthcare MDA, which likely means that the worst for the um, biotech subsector um, is likely already behind us. So some very clear messages there about your preferences within the healthcare sector. Thanks so much, Mathieu. Thank you very much for having me, Bernadette. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank my guests for contributing and, of course, you for listening. Don't forget to join us again tomorrow when Helen Freer will be back, hosting more of our experts to guide you through what's moving markets. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.